I want to invite your attention to the book of John, chapter 6. And I feel very compelled in this passage of Scripture this morning as I was preparing and just over the last two or three weeks after Matthew asked me if I could preach um, today. And, um, you know, this, this message in John chapter 6 just came to my heart and it's where I'm at in life. It's where I am in my own Christian walk as I'm serving God and desiring to honor Him, desiring to glorify Him and understand what He's doing in my life and what He has me and my family or my wife here in this country to do. And it's a compelling passage of Scripture. It's urgent for us to hear the Word of God in this. And I don't know where you are this morning spiritually. I don't know if you're a seeker and you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, or if you do have a personal relationship with Christ, and, but you know you're in a place where you need to grow. You need to be discipled by His Word. I pray that this message this morning and the Word of God will, will meet you where you are. If you're seeking God, I pray that you'll see Christ is our Lord and Savior. I pray that you'll see how much He loves you, that He gave His life to die for you, to forgive you of your sins. And then as believers that serve God, so that we, you and I can see how He works in our lives and how He is definitively our God. He is definitively our Savior, our Lord, and our Master. And we count on that and we hold on to that and we move forward in confidence knowing that our God is the Lord of our lives. So, as we look at John chapter 6, verse number 1, I want to talk about the um, feeding of 5,000. It's a very interesting passage of Scripture. Feeding 5,000 people is pretty special, but I don't really want to focus on that too much. This is also a miracle that Jesus does that you can find in all four Gospels, that doesn't make it any more authoritative. If it was only in the Gospel in one place, it would carry the authority of the Scriptures. But it is interesting that all four of the men who wrote about the life of Christ felt like this was important to them. And I can't think that for one minute it's actually the most important thing to them is they were just blown away by the fact that God fed 5,000 men. And then one of, the, one of the writers of the Gospel says it was besides, He also fed women and children. So you could put that number up, 15,000, 20,000, or even more. It's not, it's not a little group of people. It's, it's amazing. It's extraordinary. But there's something more than that here. It's not just this, this event of feeding 5,000 that I want us to, to focus on this morning. If you read at the end of the book of John, there's a couple of verses there. And you know what these verses say? If it were written down, all the things that Christ had done... In his ministry, the world can contain the books that it's written in. So I've got to think that just, just the miracle itself is something else here. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. So, in John chapter 6, verse number 1 to verse number 14. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the sign that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, 
The Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And even when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed the prophet, this is indeed the prophet who is come into the world. So, wow, what an amazing thing for them to witness. If you try to take all four accounts and all four Gospels and and kind of merge them together and, and get as much of a picture of what happened on this particular day in the life of Christ, you could, you could build a little bit more of a picture of what's happening. It's an interesting day. I think if you did this and you studied it, at least you would come to this conclusion. What a, an enormous day of ministry this was for our Lord. It was what you and I would say exhausting. You and I might say it, it taxed us to the very limit of our abilities. It seems like, from merging these stories together, that Jesus may have had two large sessions of ministry that day. Where on one part of the coast of the Sea of Galilee, he ministered, he healed the sick, and he discipled the, the multitudes of people. And then... Other things were happening this day. Somebody brought word to Jesus that his cousin had just been executed. And so that had to weigh heavy on his heart. Jesus was also looking forward to welcoming back the twelve. He had just been leading his twelve in a seminar of short-term mission endeavors and working toward long-term mission work. And he was expecting them to return on this day to share the account and what had been done and what had been accomplished in sharing the gospel in all the villages that they had gone to. So Jesus was looking forward to that. And the ministry was intense. And so he looked for a time to pull away. So he got on board a ship and it looks like he moved up the coast of the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, and to find a desolate place so he could meet with the disciples there. And just let them download and share and and the excitement of of what it was like to be on mission. Remember, this was a mission trip, but they weren't allowed to take any supplies. They weren't allowed to take extra things with them and no money and no extra clothes. Just go and and look for a man of peace and, and, and share the gospel. 
so he was looking forward to just getting along with his disciples. And he sat with them, and it doesn't seem like it was long enough. You know, when you read this, you, don't, you get the sense it wasn't long enough, and Jesus cast his eyes up, and he saw the multitudes who didn't catch a boat and, and follow him, but they went on foot, and they found out where he was going to be, and on foot they went to meet him. And Jesus saw him coming, and he had compassion on them. And he did more ministry with them. He healed the sick, and he ministered the word of God and truth to them. And the disciples, slowly coming back, all of them gathering there, and realizing the hour was late, said, Lord, it's, it's getting late. And being the time of Passover, the, the multitudes were probably even more so. That's why it's such a large number of people. It's getting late. Maybe it's time we tell the people to go into the villages and find lodging, find a place to eat, and get, get, you know, just kind of call it a day. It's been a good day. But Jesus' eyes saw the multitudes, and he had compassion on them, and so he wants to um, feed them. Isn't that the way our Lord is? He's always interested in how we're doing. He's always interested in, in how you're doing. And he wants to feed them, and, and so he also, being our Lord, decides to take a an opportunity to continue discipling. And I'm thinking, in, in, in my supposition here, but I'm thinking, you know, I didn't get to spend enough time with the 12 to, to get them to debrief and download everything that happened. So it, our Lord says, I'm going to, you know, he's going to test Philip. I don't know why Philip's name was brought up, but it, you can be assured that it, it went to the, to the whole of the 12 before it was all said and done. But he said to Philip, oh, Philip, where can we buy food? For these people. Wow. He didn't demand an answer just like that. He gave Philip time. You know, when Jesus says he was in, in Jesus' heart and mind, he was testing Philip. He was going to give him a test to see how he would answer this question. And so Philip said, well, um, I'm thinking Philip ran to Judas because, you know, Judas was the treasurer, right? And he's carried the money and tried to find out well, how much, what's our status here? What's the bank account have? You know, what do we got in the bag? And uh, I'm guessing it was 200 denarii. And, uh, you know, he comes to Jesus and said, you know, all we got, you know, uh, is 200 denarii. That's not enough to buy food. And if there was a place to buy it, it wouldn't be just feed people just a little and it wouldn't be enough. There's no way it's enough. Andrew, who was brought into this as well, you know, he said, there is a lad here. There's a young boy who has five loaves, two fish. But what is this among so many? So, time's up. Put your pencil down. Turn the test in. Jesus um, listens to them. Now, don't sell, uh, don't, don't be down on Philip or Andrew or any of the twelve. They're a lot like you and I are, every bit, just like you and I are. We weren't there. We don't have a privilege to know what a little bit of that download session was. These men went on a, a mission trip, and they would undoubt. I have seen and heard many reports from church members who have gone out on mission trips, teams, small teams, large teams. I, I myself have been part of that in the past, and... I have never heard a report that was like, well, you know, not a lot happened. 
We went there with these huge expectations and just everything went flat. And it was just nothing as God would. I've never heard a trip like that. I've, quite the contrary. I've heard people super excited seeing how God just worked through the most impossible things. So you've got to know in Philip's mind and Andrew's mind, they experienced in the last week or whatever length of time they were on a mission trip, they experienced some actually amazing things happening. And excited to come back and share Jesus and tell them, you know what, this happened and this happened. And we went to this house and they didn't want us to come in with this other house and they took us in and wow. It was, a, it was just great. But now the, the moment changed, you know. They're off the mission field, you know. And sometimes you go on a mission trip and you come off the field and you, you get back into what you call the normal life and things just seem kind of different. You think, no, it can't be that way. It just can't be that way. But anyway, don't be hard on them. They did actually the very thing they should have done, actually. They did. Philip was right to go and find out what do we have. You know, Jesus says he wants to feed these people. Let's don't say no. You don't say no to the master. So, well, let's go find out what we have. So they went and talked to Judas. We have 200 denarii. And, well, let's go back and tell Jesus this is not enough. I don't know what we're going to do. They found a boy with a little bit of food in a basket. This is not enough. It's not going to feed so many. So they did really good up to that point, And then that's when things didn't go so well. Anyway, Jesus looks, I'm sure, in his way, just very, very loving and very compassionate and said to the 12, just have them sit down and organize them in groups. Have him sit down. And what does Jesus do? He actually receives that little bit that they have, and he thanks the Father. Genuinely. Genuinely thanks the Father. It's not like you or I, you know, if we had this enormous financial, this bill that comes in the mail, this enormous bill, and uh, we have no way to pay it. And then someone comes up and slides a Durham our direction and said, I have this for you. And we're like, oh, thanks. That's going to go a long way. That's the kind of way we would think about it. Jesus didn't think that way at all. He, he took what they had from their hearts. He thanked God for it and fed 5,000 plus people. It was amazing. It was amazing. Wow. I want to talk about something more amazing than feeding the 5,000. I want to talk about the test that Jesus gave Philip. Wow, think in your life. Think for just a minute back to a test that you've taken. Maybe in high school, maybe middle school, maybe college, maybe just for your job. You, were, you were, went to a workshop and you had to learn some new skills for your job. You had to take a test to prove yourself. Wow, that brings back a lot of emotions in people. You want to see emotions get stirred up, get a bunch of educators in one room and ask them to talk about what a good test is. Ooh, you're not even going to get two people to agree on anything. Well, it's a good test. It's pretty scary. Sometimes you get, sometimes you might be thinking back to a test that you got a 100 on. You studied for it. You worked hard. You poured yourself over the books. You dropped, you downed a few cups of coffee. You didn't sleep. Man, you just put yourself into it. I had college days like that. Wow, I, I knew Denny's in the United States like they were my second home. And spend all night studying. Sometimes I spend all night studying for something that wasn't even on the test. Have you ever done that? It's like, oh, you know, one of the lowest grades I ever got on an exam in my life. It was in church history. And I knew a lot about church history. I paid attention in class and I loved the professor I had. He just happened to ask 10 things I didn't even look at. 10 things. I thought, are you kidding me? 
From then on, I loved it when the professor would give me an essay test. It's like, oh, I get to tell him what I know. I get to write it down. Even if I can't completely understand this, I can just fill that page up with some cool stuff and I'll impress them. Maybe you're thinking about tests that you weren't prepared for and you went into it and what was just a, you know. Or maybe you're the kind of person, I studied it, I knew it, I had friends that, that quizzed me and I just was completely ready for the test. Well then, you freeze. Oh my goodness, I'm, I teach school and for 20-something years now, I, I get to hear these confessions about, I just froze. I just, I, I don't know what happened to my brain. It just quit on me. It just shut down. It was a power outage, just like we had a minute ago. It just shut down immediately with no explanation. Have you ever been there? Yeah, we all have. So we have our thoughts about tests, but I want to tell you something. Jesus wanted to test Philip. Now, he wrote the test. It was in his heart. It was his mind. So you know what I think about this test that he gave Philip? It must be crucial. It must be the most important test that Philip will ever take in his life. Jesus wrote the test. It was his question. I don't know. What do you think? Did Philip pass or fail? It's one of those classes, you know, that they have sometimes. It's called pass-fail. You either pass it or you fail it. What do you think he did? Well, we can't really answer that. Can't answer that question. Because with God... Success and failure are imposters. They don't mean anything. What it would mean was, is that after Jesus said, okay, thanks guys, tell everyone to sit down. I want to show you something. Let everybody sit down. and Get them organized in groups. I want to show you something. And so he prays. He shows them how to be thankful for what little they have. Genuinely thankful. And then he feeds them. And they're like, whoa, whoa. You know what? I love handing tests back to students. I, I really do, especially when they're good grades. <laughs> you know, I've handed tests back to students. You know, they got like a 98, and they're good students because they're more interested in the 2% they lost than the 98 they gained, and I like that. I used to like, come on, man, you got a 98. Don't give me a hard time about you. No, now I kind of like that, but I, I like to let them. I say, well, will you look at the problem? I, I teach math, so... I said, look at the problem. I like it when they look at the problem. I don't know. I don't see anything wrong. I said, look right here. And I like to see you. They don't say nothing. Their eyes just kind of roll back in their head. And they go, oh, really? I knew that. You know, have you ever had a test like that? When you, when you got it back, you missed something, and you knew it all along? It's frustrating. I knew that was the answer. I think Philip was a little like that. I think when he saw what Jesus did, he goes, I knew that. I was just on a mission trip. And it was getting late, and I didn't feel so well. And there was this man came out of his house in his village and just received me in, just let me come into his home. It was a man of peace, like Jesus had told us to look for. I knew that God would take care of it. I knew that. So what do you think? Do you think Philip passed or failed? It doesn't even matter. He learned something. He remembered something. But it is crucial. It is a test. And it's important to get it right. It's absolutely imperative that Philip get it right. It's too important just to say, oh, oh, oh I got half of it. I got 50% of it. It's okay. At least I didn't get a zero. I've heard students. At least I didn't get a zero. 
Okay, good. But you missed something very, very important. Peter, he, Philip had to be so frustrated, not wanting to disappoint Christ, his Lord, not wanting to disappoint him, and this, this is all the money we have, and this is all the fish we have, and we can't feed them, and, ooh, you know, it's important that he, what else am I supposed to do? You know, Jesus, are you really sure you don't want to send them home back to the villages and let them find their own something to eat and their own someplace to stay? No, I want to feed these people. We've got to get it right. We have to know exactly what to do. I remember one time turning back a test. I think the student failed by percentages. And um, he said, teacher, what's wrong with this problem? So I look at it and I said, well, the answer is positive and you put negative. And he's like, teacher, it's just this much. This little sign, I get the whole thing wrong, it's just this much. So I asked him, I said, what if um, you went to the Abu Dhabi Commercial Bank and you had your, you know, maybe your rent was money was in there, 200,000 dirhams. You have to save it up because in this country we have the privilege of paying our rent in one lump sum. That's amazing. And so, and what if you go in there to pay it, you want to withdraw the money, and the guy says, whoa, your account's, uh, you don't have any money. Matter of fact, you, you have negative 200,000 dirhams. And you say, how'd that happen? He said, and the banker goes, don't worry, it's just a little thing. Not, not a big deal. And all of a sudden, it becomes very important to you. It's, you, it's got to be right. It's got to be right. We, get, we would be inflamed if we found this happened with our money. So it has to be right. Philip needs to get this right. You and I need to get this right. How, you know, how often do we get tested? You know, this is an occasion for a test, and it's important for a test. Have you ever studied for a test? really, really hard, stayed up all night, drank a lot of coffee, got yourself ready and go to class and the teacher canceled the test. Has, there, has that ever happened to you? I'm like, no, you're not. I'm ready for this thing. I need this test. Tests are important to us. We know this. Even with little children, they'll come in and get their parents to quiz them on spelling words. Got a spelling test today. We'll write it down 20 times so each word, trying to make sure we got it right. We'll spell them orally. We do everything because we want to. We want to. We want to do this test. We really, you know, somehow or another, ha- something happens. This age, you know, they get excited about it. They're ready to take a test and show what they know. That's your chance to show off. You know, you study a lot of mathematics and you get excited about a test. You want to be able to see if I, you know, sometimes it's just I want to see if I know this stuff. I want to see if I can make application to the stuff that I know. We should actually do the opposite of what most of us think, and that is desire to be tested. Desire for God to test us. Lord, please test me because you know what? This is something we've got to get right. Trusting God. I I, I have a fear sometimes when I listen to people give confessions about their God or they talk about their life or they talk about God in their life and you look and and if you had to go on what they said, what kind of God they serve, they don't even know what a sovereign God is. I don't know what so many are thinking, but we serve a sovereign Lord. We serve a Lord that we're we're willing to consign ourselves over to Him. You know, there's a song that says, I surrender all. 
I surrender all. It isn't mean. That song doesn't get born out of the fact, you know, I've tried everything else and it's just not working. I'm just going to surrender. I battle, 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 and I can't. I'm just going to give up. White flag, make me a prisoner. That's not what that song's talking about. That song is coming from the heart of someone who's convinced that Jesus is Lord. And I want to give myself over to Him. I want His will for my life. Jesus set the example in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a really puzzling scripture for me, but here is Jesus in humanity and in deity, soon to go to the cross and die for our sins, and He's praying to the Father, and He says, Father, could you please let this cup, talking about having to die on the cross, could you let this cup pass from me? I remember when I first read that, I was like, ooh, Lord, you're having second thoughts, and He's actually just showing His humanity. But what did Jesus say then? He says, nevertheless, He's giving us an example. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. This is what we need to do to pass this test. Defer to God. Defer to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Give ourselves 100% to Him. If He is a sovereign, holy God, I don't want my way. I don't want my way. You know, isn't it interesting that um, the little boy only had five fish, uh, uh, five loaves and two fish, and when they got done and gathered them up, there was 12 baskets full? What was Jesus trying to say by that? Some commentators say, you know, we can't waste anything. <laughs> I don't know if that's what it meant. I don't think so. I think he's trying to say, you know what? You brought all your resources, and you're not hurting for it. You're not hurting for it. God's going to take care of you. Just trust and give. Think of what this means. Here's Philip, probably sweating bullets, right? Jesus asked me to do something. I can't come up with a solution to this. You know, there's an occasion for a test. He needs to test. We need to be tested. We need to know where, we're, where we are in our walk with God. Are we genuine? Are we real? Or is it a game we're playing? I need to know, Lord, please test me. That's why he tested Philip. He, Jesus wanted Philip to know. You know, Philip is sweating bullets. He's trying to figure out what to do. He doesn't know. He has to report back to the Lord. We're insufficient in every possible way, Lord. And he is standing next to... Think about this. He is standing next to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's standing next to the guy who, who could speak a word and every star fills the sky. Do you know there are more stars in the sky than there are sands on the beaches of the world? And he spoke a word and did that. You think it's hard for him to feed 5,000 or 20,000? It's not a hard thing. He rained manna out of heaven for 40 years to take care of the Israelites and sent them quail every evening. You think this is hard for the Lord? But yet, so how, how, do we, how do we stand before him and look at things and think it's too hard? He has a plan for our life and we endorse that plan and we like it when we acknowledge Him as Lord of our lives and Master and King. We acknowledge this. That, you know, sometimes you read the New Testament and you think, I want to know what real faith is because every once in a while Jesus will make this remark, greater faith have I not seen in all Israel. That got my attention from a centurion. It always amazes me that every Roman official there was was as corrupt and cruel as they were until you got to the soldier. The Roman centurions seemed to be the men of integrity. But Jesus said this about him. He didn't say he had the greatest faith that he'd ever seen. He just said he, there was not a greater faith than this, which means we can get it right. 
We can get it right by deferring and acknowledging God. The Bible is full of examples like that. Your life is full of examples like that where you had to defer to God because you were put in a position with a, with a problem or a test and you couldn't find a solution and you realize, I'm standing with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He gave His life for me. He's invested in me completely. I love it in the Scriptures when Jesus says, you know what? Which one of you fathers out here, if your son asks you for bread, would give him a rock? Or which one of you, if he asked for fish, you would give him a serpent? None of you would. And Jesus said, you being evil would give naturally good gifts to your children. How much more the Father would give you good gifts because He loves you and died for you. You need to consign yourself over to this King of kings and this Lord of lords. You need to pray like you believe and and understand and, and, and endorse God in everything. I love the plan you have for my life. And accept the fact that God is 100% completely sovereign. People get afraid of that. They're afraid of that. If God's sovereign, where does that leave me? If Jesus knew what He was going to do, why did He talk to Philip about this? It's an invitation to go on an adventure with God. It's an invitation to be a part of it. And I love those invitations. Be thankful for them and pray to God. Test me today and tomorrow and the next day because I want to know that I am trusting you and not myself. What about those three Hebrew children? Not children, young men who defied King Nebuchadnezzar and would not bow down to his golden statue. I love what they said. And it's a little, we don't hear enough of it today. They said, we're not going to do it. You can throw us in the fiery furnace, but we're not going to do it. And I'll tell you something else, King Nebuchadnezzar. We know that our God is powerful. He could, he could help us to survive. He could, he could let us survive in that fiery furnace. We know He could. But I really like what they say next. Says, but you know what? If He doesn't, He's still our God. In other words, people today say, oh, I believe in God for a miracle today. I'm up against the wall. I'm believing God for a miracle. There's nothing wrong with believing God for a miracle. That's kind of what Philip needed to do. Nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we say it in this context. I need it to happen this way at this time. Ooh. You should go to the book of Job this afternoon or sometime this week and look at that chapter in Job where God lays it out for Job. Got a little bit twisted up in his head about how things are supposed to be. Got a little mixed up about the power of God in the lives of his children. Make no mistake about it. God loves you beyond measure. God loves you to give his son to die for you. God loves you in an extravagant way. He has nothing but the best plan for you. So therefore I would say to you, give it over to him. Just just be okay with whatever happens. You don't understand, my child has got cancer. He's a year old. And he's dying of cancer and we love him. You don't understand. And we can come up with a thousand stories like that. And I would simply say to you, with, the, with a broken, humble heart, who is dependent on God for everything, I would simply say to you, you don't understand. Who loves that child more than you do? 
Sometimes I have a dear friend today in the middle of an adoption. Not our pastor. We're praying for him and his family because they're in the middle of adoption. But a dear friend of mine who's a pastor of a church back home in the middle of an adoption. I guess hurry. Um, praying because she has, the, has cancer. Not the little one they're adopting. They're adopting a little blind girl, girl from Honduras. But she's got leukemia, and she's undergoing treatment for that leukemia. You should read her posts. She is not, she is believing God for the miracle of the adventure to be his child. And what we all too often forget is, how do you see God in heaven? He died for you, paid such a price. I don't know how we see him. But I suspect it's like this. I suspect that he looks down and says, I, I'm, I'm anxious for the world to run the course here that I've set for it because I'm, I'm ready to call my children home. And sometimes he can't wait and he calls you home early because he wants your company. He wants you to be done with this world and enjoy the one he has for you. This is real. This is the Bible that, that, we, that we hold and, and, and cherish that teaches these things. He says, I prepare a place for you. Really, I repre- I'm preparing a place for you and it's going to be amazing. It's going to be wonderful. I didn't, I didn't um, intend for you to struggle in trials and afflictions all the time. I did tell you in this life you'll have them, but I don't intend it to be forever. So know that. Embrace that. Let me wrap up. We surrender to God because it's the best. I like what his plan is, and I don't even know what it is. I never knew I would come to this place. Neither did you, probably. Never knew you would be here. I'm two months out thinking I'm going to be teaching school in Godly, Texas. Two months after, after one little visit to the website and looking at teaching jobs and saying, God, what would you like? Two months later, I'm landing in this country. Wow. God can do a lot fast. It's kind of exciting to surrender over to Him and do what it is that He's going to work in your life. Trust Him. Jesus knew what He would do. I like that. I like that. So Philip said, said, Lord, remember Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones? Our children just learned this a couple of weeks ago. In the Valley of the Dry Bones, and God says to Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? And I love Ezekiel's comments. What did he say? He goes, you know. <laughs> you know, it's like copping out. No, it's what you're supposed to do, you know. Be resourceful. You know God. That's what Philip should have said. God, you know. Feed these 5,000, you know. I saw what you can do. You know what can happen. Do it. Do it, Lord. Do whatever it is you're going to do. And I'm okay with it. I'm okay if I burn up in the furnace or if you bring me out of it. You're my God and I love you and I thank you for loving me. Let's bow our heads. Gracious Father, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for word, your word and your truth. Father, thank you that it's compelling us. I pray, Father, that all of us go home this afternoon and we just get captured that our, by your love. We get captured by your plan for and your adventure that you have for us and that we resign ourselves over and say, I'm okay with it being tough. I'm okay with it being hard. I just need you to be my Lord. I need you to be with me all the time and in every way. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.